I'm so glad you made it out today through the weather. It's good to be together as the community of believers and open up God's Word together. My name's Gary Osborne, and I'm on staff here. If I haven't met you, I look forward to meeting you, but it's so good that we gather as the body of Christ and celebrate the goodness and the greatness and the graciousness of God. I have the privilege of opening up God's Word with you this morning, and I'm excited to share with you what God's been teaching me over the last few weeks as I've been learning and growing, and I hope you will be blessed the same way the Word has spoken to me. For those of you who haven't been here in a while or maybe are just kind of reconnecting, I'd like to take a minute or two and just talk about what we've been talking about. We have been in the seven I am statements that are found in the Gospel of John. These statements declare who Jesus is and help us understand who we are and how it changes how we live in our lives. So for the kids in the room, I would love to hear if you can remember one of the five I am statements that we've talked about so far. If you know, I'll motivate you. I got candy if, if you can remember one of the statements. You can just speak loud. It's okay. You got one? What's that? Not yet. Okay. He, you do? Oh, I see a hand here. I am the bread of life. Okay, I got Kit Kat, Milky Way, or Reese's. What do you want? Reese's. Okay, here we go. Oh, nice catch. Great job. Okay, what else we've talked about? I'm the bread of life. Yeah. I'm the good shepherd. Is that what you said? Excellent. Nice job. I am the good shepherd. Milky Way or Kit Kat? Okay, here we go. Over the head. Oh, dad gets it, it looks like. Good job. Anyone else, you got one? I am the way of the world. The light of the world. Excellent. Milky Way or Kit Kat? Yeah, I thought so. Nice catch. Okay. Three for three. It's not bad today. Okay, I'm, I'm the bread of life was the first one, right? I'm the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection of the life. These are the things that we've been talking to that pronounce who Jesus is and how it helps us live our life. Like I am the bread of the world. I am the bread of life and it sustains me, right? I'm the light of the world. It gives me the light of life. I don't have to walk in darkness. There's hope established with these statements as well. Okay, today we're in John 14, 6. If you want to turn your Bible there, you can. But John 14, 6 says this. I'm going to read this statement, and then we're going to set it all up, and we're going to get into the text. But here's what it says. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but except through me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let that sink in just a little bit. He's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. There's no other way to the Father. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Let it hit your hearts. It's an important passage. It's important that we think about what does it look like to be in the presence of God, that this is the only way to get back to to God the Father. If you've ever thought that everyone is going to spend eternity in heaven, this first claims that universalism is not correct. There is 
only one way. This is an exclusive claim that Jesus is making that salvation is only found in Christ alone. And so this is a little bit offensive. Most people are going to think, wow, Christians are so offensive in the way they say there's only one way. We're going to spend some time teasing that out in a little bit, but I want to start with back here in John 14, 1, so we understand what's going on. It says this in John 14, 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. It's interesting that this is the passage that it starts out with, that you would not be troubled, that your hearts would not be troubled, because it seems like it's coming from nowhere unless you understand the context is in. So you ask, why is this a really important statement here. So let's understand chapter 13 for just a minute, and we understand what's going on. First of all, for John 1 through 12, we understand that most of what Jesus's ministry was, was in the public form, that many people were involved in the ministry, and he was communicating and teaching and interacting with a lot of people. In chapter 13, we go from public into private. This is like when he's grabbing his followers and he's saying, hey, come close. Like, I got to tell you some things. These are some really important things. So it's just kind of the, the, the followers that have been there, the disciples that have been with Jesus all this time. So lean in close. I got some important things to tell you. So the mood is very different at the Feast of Passover right now. We would, we'll later know it as the Last Supper, but that's the setting that we're currently understand. So it's an atmosphere in the upper room. It's serious and it's somber. And the disciples didn't fully understand what was happening. But there are a few things that are recorded in this chapter that would set someone's heart maybe to a time of trouble. So let's look at them. Here's kind of three things that we're going to look at. That one is going to deny me, one is going to betray me, and you are going to lose me. So this is the tone that Jesus is teaching with as he's talking to his disciples, and that's why there might be trouble. So number one is going to start here in, in verse 21 says this, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified. So Jesus was even troubled at this night. So the mood has changed. Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. So one of his closest 12 is going to betray Jesus. If you've been around the church long enough, you understand this story. This was something that Jesus took a morsel of bread. He dipped it in the cup. And he handed it to Judas to indicate that Judas was going to be the one that betrayed him. What's fascinating about the story is the rest of the disciples don't pick up on this. But then Jesus says, hey, go do what you need to do. So here's Jesus with his closest 12, the ones that he has loved and cared for. One of them's going to betray him. Another reason why there might be troublesome in the room is in verse 33 here. When Jesus says this, little children. Yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I will say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. So Jesus is going to leave them. He's going to not be a part of their life anymore. And so, hey, one's denying him. He's leaving them all. And then finally, there's the great the great story of the denial of Peter. And we're going to spend more time in this section a little bit later. But in 38, it says this, Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. 
So this is what's happening in the room. This is why there's a sense of uh, trouble happening, is that one will betray, one will deny, and I'm leaving. And where I'm going, you cannot follow. You ever feel trouble? Ever feel overwhelmed, discouraged, disheartened? Do things keep you up at night? Do things have you have worrisome throughout the day? Is it finances or your kids or issues at work? Maybe it's relationships, frustrations at home, at home, the unknown. What has you troubled this morning? I know personally in our family, we had a troublesome event this week as one of my kids found out that she has to have knee surgery that is going to keep her out of playing softball, which she loves for the next five months. And that's very hard to watch your kid not be able to do the things that you love. And it's a troublesome time. We all go through difficult times. We have worries, concerns, and anxieties. But Jesus here say, hey, don't worry about it. Let your hearts not be troubled. Believe in me. Believe in God. Believe also in me. I love later on in the Gospel of John, it says this, in this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Like There's a great hope that Jesus has conquered all things and he's going to hold you tight in the midst of these dark times. And so that's the situation we're in. Jesus has called his disciples in. The atmosphere is a lot more serious and somber. There's really hard things going on. There's a little confusion amongst the disciples. And he says, okay, guys, hey, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God believe also in me. Picking up in verse 2. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will, and will take you for you. I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also." And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This was the encouragement that he gave his disciples in the time of trouble. That he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is an exclusive statement that gives many people reason not to like Christianity. But if we think about the broader picture, this is what Tim Keller says. The gospel is, is, is an inclusive truth, but it's the most inclusive, exclusive truth in the world. Anyone who believes will be in the kingdom, but only those who believe. It's open for everyone, but not everyone will believe. But those who choose to follow Christ will be in the kingdom. Jesus is the way, not a way. Jesus is the truth, the truth, not just one of the truth. And Jesus is the life. Sometimes this angers us, it troubles us, but it should humble us and give us confidence that Jesus prepared the way 
the one and only way to him. So let's break it up and kind of walk through this statement that Jesus is the way. So we don't always agree on the way because we don't agree on the destination. This is a really important thing to understand. Is one of the biggest problems that we're talking about with others about being a follower of Christ and why they think it's so offensive is that it seems so one-sided. Um, most people find the same, like the saying, hey, all roads lead to heaven. Believe what you want. We're all going to end up in the same place. Even you have high school and college professors and teachers who basically will say, at the core of all religion, things are the same. But that is not true at all. When we study the core beliefs of different religions, we see that they are uniquely different. And it's mostly having to do with the destination. These religions have a very different viewpoint of where we end up. Let's just take a few of these, for example. Let's talk about atheism. Atheism is a belief that there really is no God, and they believe that basically we will decompose into nothing. Or Hindu, we go in around circle and circle, and we re re we have there's reincarnation, and you're always trying to get to a better level. So the better your life is now, and the better you live, then maybe you'll end up in a higher status. That's the goal of, of Hinduism. And then we have um, Buddhism. The climax is liberation that's dissolved into nothingness. Mormons, they believe that they can become a god of their own planet. Muslims, it's all about getting to paradise. But for us as followers of Christ, our destination is to be in the presence of God. That's where we're trying to go. That is our desire. The desire of our heart is like Psalm 27, 4. One thing that I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of my days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty and to inquire in his temple. Like as a follower of Christ, my desire is to be in the presence of God, to know the Father, to experience the Father, to love the Father, to worship the Father. That's my destination, is to be in his presence. So that's where we're going. But the way is through Christ. Now, I have the unique experience of growing up in California. Californians are a little bit strange and a little bit different. I will fully admit that 100%. There used to be a Saturday Night Live, Saturday Night Live skit out there called The Californians. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but there's probably more truth in that skit than I like to believe. And my wife pointed it out to me, and I didn't really realize that. But one thing Californians do is whenever we talk in just about any conversation, we talk with directions. I know that seems odd, but that's just what we do. Like you say, hey, let's go to the beach. Great. I'm going to take the 405 to the 133 to PCH. Someone else is like, no, no, no. I'm taking the four, the five to crown valley parkway and then we're going to hit pch and then someone else says no no we're going to take the five to the 55 to the 91 we're going to end up on highway one i mean that's just the normal conversation i know it seems weird but we talk in directions all the time and we're all going to the beach but maybe not the same beach and we might not arrive at the same time and that becomes the problem when we don't follow the exact way jesus is the way. And so when we talk about the way, there is a way, and it's through Christ alone. And the destination is to spend eternity with God, the Father in heaven. 
And it starts now. I love the picture that's used in the text here. And it says this in verse, in chap, in, in, sorry, in verse two, in my father's house, there are many rooms. I love the picture of a house because you know what's unique about a house is that you need to be invited to come to the house. Like if, if I invite you to come to my house and then you can come in. Now there's other ways to get in. I get that. But the, the way we, we experience someone's home is we're invited into the home. And this is what Jesus is doing. He's going to prepare a place in the father's house and he invites you to come in to his house. It's through Jesus that we're invited. And there's many rooms. There's enough rooms for anyone who believes because the goal is to be with the father all the days of our lives. Jesus says, I am the way to my father's house. There's only one way and it's through Christ alone. It's through the work of the cross. It's through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Nothing of my own merit can get me into the kingdom of heaven. It's through Christ alone. Now I want to take you back into John 8. Back in John 8, Jesus confronts the religious leaders of the day, letting them know that the religious way that they're putting in front of people isn't the way. Jesus uses the same phrase here that he was going away and you will not seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you can not come. So Jesus is talking to those religious. He didn't say you cannot come now like he says in our text. He says you cannot come. See, these religious leaders, they were putting all these requirements and expectations on the people. They were they were making them so that they couldn't enter the kingdom of heaven. What they didn't understand is that the kingdom of heaven, they weren't going to enter either. They were like whitewashed tombs. They were a brood of vipers. This is the language Jesus uses when he talks about them repeatedly, is they were creating a religious way. And what we find out is even if you keep all the commandments, that doesn't get you into the kingdom. And then there's Peter. Poor Peter. I actually love Peter because I see that sometimes, well, I would like to think there's a little bit of me in Peter. You know, he's strong and courageous and passionate. Actually, he's more of a screw-up, and he kind of says things that he shouldn't say, and he puts his foot in his mouth. That's probably more how Peter is. He's pretty self-reliant. He kind of has the attitude, I do it myself. I will do it myself. And so Jesus has this interaction with him. Uh, back in 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. I mean, he has this desire, like I'm going to do whatever it takes so that I can be with you. I'm, I'm strong. I'm courageous. I have the ability. And there's a lot of us who are a lot like that. We have it's dangerous. We're well accomplished. We're successful. We're resourced. We have a determination. We have a motivation to prove people wrong. Like I will find my own way. That becomes our desire. And that's what Peter is trying to do here, that he's trying to say, Lord, I can do it. He's so passionate that he thinks he understands what's happening here, that he's with Jesus in the garden and the scene in a little bit, and he's going to grab a sword and cut off a Roman soldier's ear because he thinks that's the way. If I do enough, then I can be in your presence. And he's like, no, no, that's not the plan right now. This is what I have to do. This is the way 
that it's going to be. Peter wants to do it on his own way, in his own strength, and it's not going to be enough. We sometimes overestimate our faithfulness and our loyalty to God, and we underestimate our need for Jesus. Let that think in. We, we sometimes think about, man, our zeal and our desire and our faithfulness to God, and yet what it really is is our need for Jesus. And I get caught up this all the time, is I want to do, 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 instead of be, be, be. That's who we are. We need to be men and women who are connected to Jesus. So we overestimate our faithfulness to God and we underestimate our need for Jesus. It is only through Christ that we can be with him. So Peter on his own strength fails. He can't go now, but Jesus will open up a time when he can. We cannot go, we cannot go to the father's house until Jesus goes to the grave. The disciples are unable to follow now, they must wait until Jesus opens up the way. He will come again, and then we will all be able to be with him. The only way to the Father is through Jesus. Jesus says he is the way. No one comes to him except through the Father. Not through our Christianity checklist, our working hard enough, our doing enough, following the rules. It is through the work of the cross and trusting in the work of Jesus that we can get to heaven. Max Lucado tells a great story in his book, In the Grip of Grace, called The Parable of the River. I'm going to tell it to you in a paraphrase because I think it is so rich. And it helps us understand what it means to follow the way. So picture this, an incredible piece of property that sits on a mountainside. It's plush green grasses. It's perfectly landscaped. A beautiful home right there. It's set in this incredible valley with beautiful cliffs all around it. There's this incredible strong river that rushes through it and just gives this majestic picture of a piece of property. There's five boys that live on this property and the father. And the father says, whatever you do, do not go too close to the river. Well, boys being boys, four of them decided to venture out one day. And you know, as boys, they get to the edge of the river, but that's not enough. So they kind of got to put their foot in, right? And touch it. And well, as they're putting their foot in, the current is so swift, it swipes them all away and they grab each other and all four of them go down the stream. The current is so powerful, they go down for miles and miles and miles where they can no longer see the father's house. The rebellion has separated them from the father. They wash up on some foreign land in a desolate place many, many miles away. Well, the four of them gather around a campfire and they begin saying, what must we do? After a few days of doing this, the oldest one, he decides that he's not going to do this anymore. He's not waiting for the father, that he's going to go live a life and experience the pleasures of this new land. And so he begins partaking all the, the, the I guess, his immediate gratification and needs are taken care of in this new land. And he's living the life to the fullness, full, to what he believes is the fullest. And so he kind of separates from the family. The second son sees how wrong his son, his brother is and he begins to take copious notes about all the wrong things his older brother is doing and so we have one son who's living it up another son who's judging him and, and making sure that the father is going to know everything he's done the third son says ah that's not for me 
I am going to begin to take rocks and I'm going to drop them in the river one by one so I can build a pathway back to the, to the kingdom, to the, to the land that we were in. And as we all know, that's silly because that's going to take him forever. The fourth son continues to wait for the father to return. The father sends the fifth son to go and gather the other four sons to bring him back to the home. He goes to the first one and the first one says... I can't. I've done so many wrong things. There's no way the father will take me back. I rebelled and sinned against him. I just, my life is, is too far gone. The second son says, I can't leave now. I got to continue to take record of all these notes of how my other one is, is living their life. So I can't go and be a part of that. The third son says, there's no way I've wronged so much. I got to continue to stack these rocks. And maybe one day I have done enough so that I can be in back with the father. The, the fourth son is willing to take that journey freely and goes back with the fifth son. That's the, the way that we are living life. As some of us, we just think our sins are too much, that we're never going to be accepted. The other ones, we're trying to live the religious way. And if I do do all these great things, then I'll be able to get back to the Father. Some of us think we have to work and work and work to get back to the Father. But in reality, all we need is Jesus. Jesus is the way, the free gift that all we have to do is accept. And then there are many, many rooms in the Father's house. Jesus is the way maker. He's building a bridge back to the Father. So Jesus is the way, and Jesus is the truth. Not only is Jesus is the, is the way, he's also the truth. Jesus provides the way, but he also tells us how we can find the way. Jesus is the truth teller. Our culture today, in our culture today, we really care about truth. Now, we don't use that word truth because for the last few decades, we have been changing that idea because we don't like absolute truth. We actually like relative truth. Our culture said, hey, there's relative truth, but there's no absolute truth. That's just how we've been taught and think. But what's been funny lately is that there's been a move for people to want and desire truth. They don't call it truth anymore. You know what we call it today? Facts. And we actually have facts checkers out there. And when someone is wrong, we say that they are giving us fake news or fake facts or, or something that is untrue. What we're really saying is that they're lying or not telling the truth, right? We just don't like to use that word truth because people don't like to believe that there is an absolute truth. And Jesus is the truth. He is the truth. Everything he does, it is truth. Now, uh, my family and I found a show this weekend that we have really kind of like. It's called Magic for Humans. Has anyone seen this show at all out there? Great. It's on Netflix. There's some that you might not, it's not the best, but it's such a great show of this guy who's using magic to kind of entertain everyone. Now, there's this one uh, segment in there that he has a jar full of coins. And, and he gives this jar to a variety of different people. And, and the people are supposed to guess how much money is in each in, in the jar. He gives the same jar to every person. And then every person comes with a different answer. 
But when they unscrew the lid, it has the amount that they said was in the jar. So one person was like, it's $23.19. They unscrew the lid, $23.19. Another person unscrews the lid and they said it was $200 even. It's like $200. Another person, $250. Whatever number was said, that was on the lid. You know, I'm blown away. I'm like, that's amazing. That's crazy. How is he doing that? But it's this idea that he's telling them what is in there and it, he's going to confirm that and it's going to make them feel like they know the truth. Jesus does this incredible thing in, verse, in chapter 13, verse 19, that is going to help prove that he is the ultimate truth teller. So open, flip back your Bibles to chapter, uh, to chapter 13, verse 19. Now, remember those three things I said? One will betray, I'm going to leave, one will deny. He says all those after this statement. So look at what he says in 19. I am telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Okay, this is fascinating. Jesus is going to set this up. I really want you to know that I speak the truth. So I'm going to tell you these things that are going to happen. And when they happen, then you will know that I am the ultimate truth teller. What a great picture. This has felt like what the magician was doing is he was giving them a picture of what it was going to be. And he was, I guess, foretelling what that number would be when they open that lid. This is what Jesus is doing as well, is that he's saying, hey, I'm going to tell you these things, then they're going to happen, so you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Right? Jesus also says that in John 8 as well. The truth is critical in knowing the facts. So here's what Jesus says. This is a, like a, a test that Jesus is going to put out there so that they know they will tell the truth. In John 13, uh, 38. This is that interaction with Peter again. He says, Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will crow and will not crow till you have denied me three times. Now, Peter loves Jesus. Peter would do anything for Jesus. Peter does not want to deny who Christ is. This goes directly against who he is. But Jesus says, no, Peter, you're going to do it. And look at what he does. He tells Peter he's the exact action he's going to do. He's going to deny him. He's going to give him a time frame of when he's going to do it before the rooster crows. And he's going to give them um, how many. He's going to deny him three times. So it's very specific on what Jesus is going to do. And Peter then does it. Imagine you're in this situation. Imagine you're Peter when Jesus says, hey, these are the things you're going to do. It. This is when you're going to do it by, and this is how many times. You would do everything in your impossible not to do it because you wouldn't want to let the Lord down. And then Peter finds himself in the story of the night, as we all know, and he denies his knowing of Christ three times before the rooster crows. So Jesus, the one, tells the ultimate truth. Peter was like, Lord, Lord, I would never do that. He ends up not telling the truth because Jesus is the ultimate truth teller. It's a great picture right here in the text. And it gives us confidence that when Jesus says something, it is the truth. Over and over again in God's word, we can hold true to the promises because we know Jesus is the ultimate truth teller. Jesus has this interaction with Pilate in John 18. 
And he says this to Pilate. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate and all his wisdom says, what is truth? Jesus is the truth. It would be a great study. I encourage you. You can read through the Gospel of John and just continue to see all the times that Jesus refers to himself or God the Father as truth. Over and over again, I am truth. I am the truth. The truth will set you free. This is critical to understanding for our life that Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the way maker. Jesus is the truth teller. Jesus is truth. I am truth. Truth is real. It is his name. He loves us so much that he's willing to tell the truth. Even in hard times, Jesus loves him. Augustine said this, one of our church fathers says, where I found truth, there I found my God, who is truth itself. He is the truth. So when Jesus says it, it is true. So Jesus is the way maker. Jesus is the truth teller. And Jesus is the life giver. Jesus is life. Being with Jesus is life. Our desire, our destination is to be with the Father. And what we know in John 3.16 is for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him will have everlasting life and shall not perish. That is the hope that we have, that those who believe in Christ will have life forever. Remember a few weeks back when we talked about the good shepherd and the enemy says, I've come to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus says, but I have come to give you life and life to the fullness. Friends, the Lord wants to give you life to the fullness. And I think most of the time we sell him short. We're living for the immediate gratifications of this world instead of thinking about eternity. We are not citizens here in this world. This is not our home. We're just foreigners. We're sojourners, the Bible says, ready to look for our, ready to, because we're made for eternity in heaven with our Father. That's our goal. That's our desire, is to be in the presence of the Lord. In John 14, 19, it says this, uh, Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you will also live. What great hope we have. So in these times of trouble, when he says, let your hearts not be troubled, believe in God. Believe in me, because I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the way to God. Jesus reveals the truth from God, and Jesus gives us life with God. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Today, if you are troubled, I, I want to invite you to trust the way maker, to believe in the truth teller, and to place your hope in the life giver. Amen? Let me pray for us this morning. Father God, I thank you that uh, you gave us your word and that your word guides us and directs us to be like Jesus. Father, I thank you that Jesus um, demonstrated the way back to the Father.
that he provides a path so that we can spend eternity in your presence. I thank you that we know that Jesus' words are always true, that we can hold those tights and be full of assurance that the word of God guides and directs us back to the cross and back to the Father. And Father, I thank you that we can have life and life in you fraternity because you live, we live, Lord. Father, I pray for my friends in this room this morning and the troubles that they may have and the heartache that they're going through. I pray that they would hold on to the truth of your word, that they would have great confidence that you have provided a way, that you have shown us the truth and that you have given us life and life for eternity. We love you, Lord Jesus. I pray your word would penetrate our hearts deeply and that we would live like Jesus as we go from here. In your name, amen.